Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Coming up on today's show, the soaring price of food in our country. Is there any relief in sight? What about what our country is doing to help its citizens? We'll speak with Franco Terrazano, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and we'll give you an update on what's happening in Iran. People dying in the streets as they fight for their freedom. Uh, we've seen fruits and vegetables have also been, you know, some of the things to eat healthy have also been sort of at above that average rate of inflation. And, and a lot of that has had, has had to do with not only weather, but high transportation costs, not just high fuel costs, but limited capacity. We hear stories about the yeah. dramatic shortage of, of, uh, of truck drivers. So that's also led to some increases there. Yeah, there's so many things that are built into it. When we take a look at some of the things that we're seeing, at least locally, you know, gas prices are down quite a bit. I mean, they're down like 60, 70 cents in Alberta over the past couple of months. So that's a big, big change. Are you seeing the kind of conditions that may bring us some relief? Is there any hope on the horizon here? Well, I think there is some hope on the horizon, uh, partly because we just often get relief on fresh uh, fruits and vegetables at this time of year. You know, apple crop is about to come off, uh, although uh, Nova Scotia apples are a little bit concerned about the hurricane that's coming through there. So, so potatoes and those sorts of things that will be, that will be using local production for, or Canadian production for, we should see some relief uh, there. We should see some relief because, as you say, uh, gas prices are coming down, yeah. not only in, in Canada, but also in the U.S., which should give us a little bit of transportation relief. Um, but also, as we get into the winter, as we get into the winter months, I, I don't want to get premature. We're, as we get closer to the winter months, then we start bringing produce up from, from the U.S. We know that there's short water, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the winter. I, 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 I say there are some reasons for optimism, but that there is the potential that this could linger a little bit longer. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. What about, well, I mean, when you say linger a little bit longer, does that mean sort of stay at this ridiculously high level or continue to climb even more? Well, I think, uh, you know, as I said, some of the numbers, uh, if you look, the, the big 10.8 number is, is compared to last year. You can also look at their numbers and say what's happened uh, from July to August, and we saw some. We we saw you know one uh, percent from July to August, which means a twelve percent annualized rate. So I think there is still some momentum for price increases. I think we've probably, uh, pardon the pun, baked in some of the wheat price yep. increases already, so that I'm not sure that. That, that those grocery prices will continue to, to go up. So I think definitely not seeing things come down in the short run. Hopefully that rate of increase slows down a little bit. Yeah, that we'll, we'll take that for now. And of course, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, Dr. Vaughn Massell, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us. 
All right. Lots going on when it comes to the cost of living, right? And, and, and the reason is simple. It affects all of us. We all, we all, in one way or another, are touched by the cost of living, be it gas prices or food prices or housing prices, all of which have gone up a lot over the course of the past year, uh, there's really no way of getting around it, unfortunately. So the call has come to governments to get involved and help out to do what they can. And as you know, there's a lot of people that are kind of, uh, you know, this isn't great because the Alberta government has decided that the gas tax relief that we had in place, the 13 cents a litre gas tax that was lifted a few months back, uh, four and a half cents of that is coming back. Because, I mean, and they told us right from the beginning if the price of oil stays over $90 a barrel, you, you you get the 13 cents. If it starts to slide down somewhere between 90 and 80, we're going to throttle it back. And at 80, it's gone. Well, it's at like 84. So some of that gas tax is coming back. Still getting, I think, about nine cents, eight and a half cents a liter. But not the 13 we were getting. However, gas doesn't cost $2 a liter anymore either. So, uh but what are other countries doing? Because it's not just us that are in this position. It's it's right around the world. Countries are tackling inflation. Uh, you know, UK with huge interest rate increases yesterday, uh, following along with the Federal Reserve in the US going up by three quarters of a point. So it's not just us. How are we stacking up against the rest of the world? Let's find out. We're going to chat now with Franco Terrazano of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. His group recently did a side-by-side -side comparison of us versus a bunch of other countries. Franco, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time. Well, hey, thanks for having me on, and happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday to you too, sir. Um, the report that you did kind of, it, it compares our inflation relief for Canadian citizens to what other countries are doing, and you find that, especially when it comes to tax relief, we're lagging pretty far behind, aren't we? Yeah, that's really unfortunate. You know, I, I can't believe we have to say this, but it really should have been a no-brainer for governments in Canada during the pandemic while people lost their job, people took pay cuts, people lost their business, people are struggling with inflation, right? People are, are worried about whether or not they can really afford uh, the, the big package of ground beef at the grocery store. It should have been a no-brainer during the last two years for governments to just not raise taxes. But unfortunately, uh, we didn't see that here in Canada. We saw the federal government raise its carbon tax three times. We saw uh, payroll taxes continue to go up. They've gone up four years in a row. And if all that drives you to drink, well, you know, every time you go to uh, pick up your favorite 2-4 uh, of beer, or every time you go to enjoy that bottle of Pinot with your better half, well, the government is also raising taxes on alcohol as well. And while our federal government raised taxes, while the Alberta government is raising its gas tax again now, we saw 51 countries do the right thing, provide their citizens with relief. And you know what? It was a lot of our peer countries, other industrialized countries that stepped up to the plate. We saw more than half of G7 countries, more than half of G20 countries, and about two-thirds of the OECD countries do the right thing and provide their citizens with tax relief. Okay, now, a couple. first of all, the payroll taxes you're talking about, you're talking about CPP and EI, and you know and I know a lot of people will say that's not a tax, it's a pension plan, all the rest of that stuff. So I understand what you're saying, but, I mean, just to, just that point of clarity around there. Now, when you take a look at these other countries, what are they doing specifically that we aren't, that you think we could be doing here in Canada? Well, you know, I got to push back a little bit. Maybe we can go back and forth. Sure, absolutely, yeah. A payroll, a payroll tax, the payroll taxes are a tax. I mean, number one, you don't have a choice whether you pay into it or not. But number two, and I think more importantly, uh, the federal government recognizes that it as a tax, right? If you have to appeal a CPP or EI decision, you take it up with the Tax Court of Canada. I mean, Statistics Canada's own reports call them payroll taxes. But I guess more to the point, what we saw countries do, we saw, for example, 
25 other countries provide gas tax relief. Australia, for example, cut its gas tax by uh, 50%. You saw you saw South Korea cut its gas taxes by 30 percent. Um, but we also we also saw countries um, like Italy, they cut gas taxes and income taxes. New Zealand, Netherlands, they cut gas taxes. Germany cut gas taxes. We're also seeing countries lower taxes on energy. Spain cut electricity taxes. Norway also cut some energy taxes. So we saw a lot of countries uh, really addressing the issue where so many people are feeling it the most at the pumps. Uh, energy costs. But again, unfortunately, we saw the federal government raise its carbon tax to 11 cents a liter of gas. Um, we, we know they're going to continue raising their tax to nearly 40 cents per liter. That's under the Trudeau government's plan. And, and you know what's so unfortunate is that the Alberta government just made an awful decision to raise its gas tax come October 1. Uh, partly, yeah. Well, I mean, not to raise it, to reinstate uh, about a third of it. But I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Now, of course, the federal government has a, you know, they call it an inflation relief program. It may not be tax mm-hmm. relief, but it's almost $5 billion in terms of doubling the GST rebate, which indeed is a tax rebate. You say there's no tax rebate. Well, that's definitely one. And also, you know, uh, the housing subsidy, uh, the dental plans, all the rest of this stuff. So the government's going to tell you we're doing all kinds of things to help Canadians to the tune of about $5 billion. Well, let's let's start with the GST rebate. And you know what? I think the GST rebate is a good gesture for some of the Canadians that are going to get some of their money back after paying too much tax on the till. One of the problems with the GST rebate is that two thirds of Canadians won't get it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And and if and if the government is essentially acknowledging that allowing Canadians to keep more money in their pockets to be able to afford the rising cost of just about everything, well, then why not just cut? taxes across the board, at least for a certain amount of time, rather than tinkering around the edges uh, with with a GST rebate that a third of Canadians will get, two-thirds of of Canadians won't get. But really, the Trudeau government hasn't shown that it is serious about affordability. Uh, Really, the Trudeau government's approach to affordability has been like, uh, break your legs and give you a crutch that's two sizes too small, then say, well, if it weren't for the government, you wouldn't be able to walk. But the first thing the government should be doing during these very tough times is just not to make things worse. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With the tax hikes that we've seen, right? Uh, this year, you're paying about 4500 bucks in payroll taxes. We've talked about gas taxes going up. You know, the Trudeau government could immediately hold a press conference today, cut or suspend its gas taxes, and save drivers between 18 and 30 cents a litre, depending on where you fuel up. 
I, I don't disagree with you that the GST rebate only touches a very small percentage of Canadians. For a lot of us, we're not getting any sort of tax relief. Um, we did see the income tax exemption ramped up a little bit. I mean, so yep. that's a that's a bit of a tax relief there, is it not? No, no, you're right. Uh, they increased the basic personal exemption, which is the tax-free portion of your income. But the only problem is, is that the payroll taxes uh, are higher than the relief from the personal basic exemption. So if you look at your total federal income tax bill, uh, well, if you're making more than $40,000 this year, then you're paying yeah. higher federal income taxes. Now, I think what we also have to do is look at the total bill that we pay in taxes, because it's not just the federal government, right? We pay property taxes, income taxes, federally and provincially, business taxes, excise taxes, taxes on taxes. Well, when you add up all the taxes that Canadians pay, on average, you're paying about 43% of your family's budget to all levels of government, right? So that's a huge amount. And, and, and let's go back to the Alberta government here, because I think that we have to call this a tax hike. I think we have to call a spade a spade. And, you know, I understand the technicalities of the, the price of oil and the sliding scale. But the real thing here, they cut gas taxes to provide people with inflation relief. Mm-hmm. Well, inflation is not over. Like, I was just in Lethbridge last weekend visiting my family. And they were only talking about how groceries have gone up, That's right. how the price of the pump has gone up, how formula is too expensive, right? So inflation is still a serious issue, and this was the wrong decision. And quite frankly, after the last three years, you would think that the Kenny government is tired of making bad decisions, but apparently not. Franco, to be fair, I've been interviewing Canadian Taxpayers Federation personnel for a long time, and one of the things you guys love to talk about is not paying down the debt. And, you know, and I'm sure if there was, I mean, you can't do both, right? I mean, you can't, they'll be criticized for adding gas to the fire if they do cut it, and, you know, and increasing the inflationary rates and not paying down the debt, ramping up the debt, all these sorts of things. You can't do it all, Franco. And, you know, you've had me on air as well when I was the Alberta director, and, and I was right. saying the exact same thing, right? But here's the thing. They just posted a $13 billion surplus, yeah. <laughs> right? Come on. It should be a no-brainer to not be raising taxes at the pump. That's provincially. <laughs> that's provincially. It's a different story federally, as you know, right? So, Oh, right. So federally, that's, that's a great example. Well, look, I mean, and this is what we've been saying all along is that, well, if, if they cut spending, they could also lower taxes. Now, let's even just talk about before the pandemic, because the federal government has been overspending for a long time. In 2018, the federal government was spending more money than it did during any single year during World War II. And I know what you're thinking, but yes, that is also adjusted for adjusted, inflation okay. population yep. growth. So it's crazy to think that before the pandemic, before a cross-country recession, you had the federal government spending all-time highs. So certainly it can find savings in the budget. And, you know, during the pandemic, I think people understand that you have to direct resources in a time of need. But, like, let's just think about how a family would approach something like this. If you have a leaky roof, yeah, okay, you spend money to fix the leaky roof. But then you don't take out the credit card and and buy a new flat screen TV, you know, a couple ATVs and a new BMW. But unfortunately, the federal government's approach to spending is essentially spend during the good times, spend during the bad times, uh, spend more money on everything forever. But of course, that is not not a sustainable approach. I mean, we saw what happened in Alberta when politicians overspent in the 80s. -hmm. We saw what happened in Saskatchewan when politicians kept kicking the deficit can down the road. They closed, what, nearly 50 rural hospitals and clinics. So this is just not a sustainable approach.
I understand, but at the same time, saying not spending is is not or spending too much is not sustainable. But there's two sides to that equation. You know that there's the revenue side and the spending side, and you're telling them to slash the revenue side. It's the same end end result. Well, let me just bring up another point. So. What inflation does, it hurts Canadians every time we go to the pumps, we're paying more. Every time we go to the grocery store, we're paying more. What inflation also does is it fattens government coffers. Well, if you look at the last budget, the 2022 budget released by the federal government, they're taking in about $30 billion extra than what they projected because of inflation. Right? So inflation fattens government coffers. What we would like to see is you use some of that money to provide Canadians with much-needed relief. When was the last time we've really seen legitimate broad-based tax cuts from the federal government in Canada? You know, I really can't remember. No, neither can I. That's an absolutely fair point. Franco, it's always a fun discussion. I appreciate you coming on. All right, we're going to uh, turn our attention overseas now to a story that I think we should all be paying very close attention to because right now, in a country that is famous for oppressing its citizens, a deadly fight, literally a deadly fight for freedom is underway. Uh, According to state police, as many as 26 people are dead so far as a result of clashes between Iranian police and security forces and the citizens of Iran. Uh, they took to the streets after a 22-year-old woman was killed by Iran's morality police. Yes, morality police for not wearing her hijab properly. She was wearing her hijab. She just wasn't wearing it properly. This is um, a United Nations human rights spokesperson describing what happened. There are reports that Ms. Amini was beaten on the head with a baton and her head was banged against the vehicle by so-called morality police. Authorities in Iran said she had a heart attack. 22 years old, never sick in a day. She had a heart attack. But uh, it appeared to have been a tipping point for citizens in a country often ranked, well, always ranked, in the bottom 10 for freedom around the world and routinely singled out for uh, constant institutional violations of human rights. So now we're seeing widespread protests in the street. To get some insight on how we got here and where we might be going, we're going to chat with Cave Charouz, who's a lawyer and a senior fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute Centre for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Cave, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. It's really good to be with you. Thanks for covering the story. Yeah, uh, you know, sadly, unfortunately, I think a lot of us know that literally hundreds of people are killed by this regime every year in Iran. Why do you think this particular death and what happened with this 22-year-old woman sparked the outrage and the protest that we're now seeing that has grabbed global attention? That's an excellent question. I mean, first of all, I should note this is by no means the first protest. I mean, there have been mass protests. Uh, There were mass protests in 2019, which the government crushed by killing at least 1,500 people in 2017 and so on and so on. Uh, This one was sparked, I think, by something that was so incredibly cruel which you you know highlighted um in the in the lead up to this interview you know the killing of a completely apolitical uh woman for no reason other than the fact that you know her hair was showing her her hijab was not um up to the government standards um you know this has been this is pent-up rage that has been building for 40 years this regime is a gender apartheid regime there's no other way to express it um and i think people have been very angry about it for a long time and this this was just the spark that kind of lit this fire and and like you say gender apartheid and it's women who started this particular protest it started on social media with the removing of the hijab and the cutting of the hair it was women that really sparked where we are now right 
That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, women have been at the forefront of resistance to this regime for a long time. One of the first things this regime did when it came to power um, in 1979 was impose the, the job on women, and women went out in very large numbers and protested. Uh, that movement was crushed by bullets and literally, and I kid you not, throwing acid in the faces of women. So they were they were shut down there, but for 40 years they've been struggling, and this is another outpouring of, of rage and anger. And, you know, Kavi, uh, I think for a lot of us, we don't understand or are not aware of the fact that when you take a look at Iran, there's two very different groups. You've got the citizens, by and large, who are extremely pro-Western and uh, have been uh, for up until the last 40 years, as you say. And then you've got the regime, which is despised by many. I mean, it's not like Iran is one central block and they all feel the same way. The citizenry is extremely upset with the way they're treated by the government, correct? That's exactly right. This is one of the things that I always try to tell people in the West in the, is that there, there's almost no other country I can think of where there's such a vast gulf between the people that rule and the people that are ruled. Right. Um, Iranian people, you would be surprised to know, are very westernized, as, as you say. They're very, you know, they have access to the internet sometimes, though that's yeah. blocked sometimes. Um, they have access to the internet. They watch satellite TV. Um, they're very well educated and they want to be open to the world. And surprisingly, they're very secular as a result of 40 years of religious repression. They're, they're rebelling and so they're very secular. The government is something from the seventh century. Um, so obviously, you know, there's going to be this, this incredible conflict that's going to brew up. And as you say, we've seen these protests before this one going and you mentioned the internet. Um, so there's a lot of fear and a lot of concern that with the Iranian regime cracking down, shutting down the internet, suspending social media, things like that, that something awful is about to happen. Um, where do you anticipate this is going to go? Um, it, it really depends on kind of what outside. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Uh, players do in this yeah. case. So to, to remind your listeners, uh, this, this has become a habit of the Iranian government. Every time there's a protest, what they do is they shut down the Internet or slow it down to the point where people inside can't communicate. Um, they can't organize and they can't get their message outside the country. And so they use that time. The regime uses that time to crush the protesters and kill them. In 2019, as I mentioned, they killed 1,500 people. They're doing the same now, but there is hope that perhaps the West is, is going to step in. Um, you know, they're pleased to Elon Musk, for example, to use his Starlink system, which he has deployed so effectively in Ukraine, to keep the Internet on in Iran. Um, and so I think if, if we manage to do that, you know, the citizens will have a chance. We're chatting with Kaveh Sharouz, a lawyer and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute's Center for Advancing Canada's Interest Abroad. We're talking about um, the situation in Iran, and now I want to focus a bit on the international response. This is uh, Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie, talking about what... Um Canada is looking for here. We are calling for a full and complete investigation into uh, the regime's uh, actions, and we deserve explanations. 
Um, Kathy, that seems like some really, really weak, weak, weak response from the Canadian government. Uh, do we need to be doing more as an international community? I mean, I know you don't want to get involved in a sovereign nation, but at some point, don't human rights rise to the level that we need to do more than we have? Uh, absolutely. I think that is a very weak, weak response. Um, you know, asking the murderers to investigate their own murder seems like not a great approach. Um, I think there are things that the international community should be doing generally, aside from just condemning Iran, but there, there are very specific things that, uh, Minister Jolie and, and the Prime Minister can do. Um, you know, there is a Revolutionary Guard Corps in Iran, which is the sort of most, uh, vicious, arm of the Iranian regime, and the Prime Minister and his cabinet committed to putting them on a terror list. We haven't done that. Mm-hmm. There are sanctions, there's sanctions legislation that we can use uh, to sanction human rights violators, you know, the leaders of Iran's regime. We're not doing that. Um, and there's a whole host of other sort of policy options on the table, but for some reason, I think uh, we're simply stuck at the rhetorical phase right now. You know what, Gabby? I mean, even as uh, Jolie was making that, and it's from a couple of days ago, in fact, it's from the exact same time as the leader of Iran was addressing the United Nations General Assembly and talking about how they don't feel they can trust the United States. So, I mean, it's not just Canada. Uh, the leader was invited to the UN and addressed the General Assembly. I mean, do we need to do more to sort of isolate this regime? Uh, it seems like this happened days after this woman was killed on the streets of Iran. Absolutely. I mean, there were images of U.S. Secret Service people protecting Iran's so-called president while there were, you know, while his goons were beating people up on the street. And for your for your listeners that don't follow Iran closely, Iran's president is a man implicated, directly implicated in the mass murder of thousands of people, including members of my own family. Uh, I mean, this this person has a long history and his, and, and his arms are sort of drenched in blood, so to speak. Um, the fact that we just kind of allow these people to come and go and occasionally issue press releases condemning them is really insufficient. I really think the international community um, and the Canadian government need to take much stronger steps. Um, let's go back to Iran. How do you anticipate this? As you say, there's been other protests like this, and ultimately it has ended with the regime escalating, cracking down to the tune of hundreds and hundreds of deaths. Are, we, are you anticipating that's what's going to happen here as well? Um, that is the million-dollar question. Um, I regrettably, sadly, do anticipate a lot of deaths. Whether or not the revolutionaries, and I, I don't hesitate to call them that now, they really are revolutionaries, whether they succeed um, will depend in large part on kind of the international reaction, right? As I mentioned earlier before your break, whether or not they manage to get reconnected to the Internet will depend a lot on whether we can provide them with technology. Uh, there needs to be sort of sustained international attention. Regrettably, the West sometimes pays attention to these things and then moves on. But, you know, the Iranian regime is waiting basically for the world to move on before it sort of cracks down. And so we need to make sure that we keep sustained attention on what's happening. Yeah, I agree with you, because you're right. Typically, we do move on, and things go back to the way they were. Cabby, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining. We'll check in on this story again. Thank you so much. That is Cave Sharuz, who is a lawyer, a senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Thanks for listening today. If you hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.